following message is presented by Free Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. If I were to tell each one of you in this room to, to grab a pen and, and some piece of paper you have around you and draw four circles, just circles, the very best circle that you could draw, and you course did because I asked you to do it. So you did it and you drew your four circles. And then we said, okay, now we're going to put everybody's circles up on the wall up here. And we, we put them all up and then you can go look at everybody's circles that they drew. Are all of them going to look the same? No. Some of you are going to draw much better circles than others of us. Right? You're, you're, they're going to look from, from a distance. You'd be like, that's a really, that one's a really good circle. But even the best circle that anyone in this room drew, if we actually grabbed that and took it down and examined it, we'd find it's not a perfect circle. It's impossible to draw a perfect circle because at, at the very least, we get down to the, the microscopic level and there would be imperfections in your pencil or in the paper or in the, the, the whatever you laid that paper on to write. And so there would be these, these little variations. And so there would be no perfect circle. Even if I told you, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you $100,000 over the next year. And all you have to do is practice drawing circles. At the end of that year, you're going to come in and you're going to draw a circle. And it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be much better, isn't it? It's going to look much closer to that perfect circle than the one you drew today would be. But it's not going to be perfect. That's because the proof of growth in anything is not perfection. The proof of growth is improvement. We have been blessed to live with a divinely inspired faith. And we talked about this last week, that divinely uh, driven fire of faith. And that's not a mere declaration of religious fact. To live powerfully in faith is to be constantly shaped by God's love, by Christ's sacrifice, by the Holy Spirit's power, and by the truth of the gospel. And when we live with that kind of faith, it will change every single aspect of who you and I are. Doesn't mean we're going to get perfect, but it means we'll be closer to who we were intended to be, who we were created to be, who God made us to be. That change comes in every aspect of our lives, our thoughts, our actions, and our speech. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through 19, Paul zeroes in on one of those aspects. He zeroes in on the effects of a powerful faith on the patterns of our speech. And so the question we ask ourselves as we come to this passage is, do we show... Do we show our affections for and our commitment to Jesus Christ through the patterns of our speech, through the way that we speak? Paul's going to give us three areas where the fire of our faith alters our lives and changes our speech. And he begins in verse 14 and 15, where he shows us that faithfulness rejects contentious speech. Faithfulness rejects contentious speech. Verse 14 and 15, Paul writes, remind them of these things 
and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to, pre- to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Faithfulness rejects contentious speech. As we look at this, the first question that should come to our minds is in verse 14, who is them? He says, remind them. Well, who's them? We got to go back to the beginning of this chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Them is the, are, are the faithful men, the faithful men and women who are learning the truth. Verse 2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is who Paul is talking about. He says, remind them, those who are learning, those who are having more and more knowledge of who the Lord is so that they are able to teach, remind them not to fight about words. Paul doesn't want disagreements on on what we would consider secondary issues to separate the believers. And this is what he's talking about here. He's not talking about them arguing about things that are, are, are true in scripture. Like, it's not like arguing about words. We don't want to fight about words. If somebody says Jesus isn't the son of God, that's okay. No. Here we're talking about things contained within the truth that maybe aren't laid out clearly. You may be thinking, well, what is that? Well, let's, let's talk about it even within our faith today, right? What is the way that God saves us? Is it solely by his sovereignty or does he give us a choice? And the answer is yes, both are true. I don't know how that works, but you will find many people who want to fight about that. Like if you don't think the way that I think about this, you're absolutely wrong. Right? Or which translation of the Bible do you use? Well, if you don't use this one, you, you must not love Jesus because this is the only right one. No, he's talking about not fighting about words, not getting lost in these secondary issues. Paul knows that the consumption of information can easily lead us to arrogance. And such arrogance breeds confrontations that bear no fruit in our lives or in the lives of those around us. So contrary to this, Paul says, don't fight about words. In fact, in Titus chapter three, when Paul writes to Titus, he talks about this very thing. Titus chapter three, verse eight, nine, he says, this, is a trust, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. See, he says, instead of arguing about theological minutia, he wants the believers to be committed to the good works of loving and serving the Lord and loving and serving those around them to be called approved workers who have nothing to be ashamed of, but are focused on the task of the gospel in front of them. Now, let me say, let me say this. In some of these secondary issues, it's good for you to study and know what you believe. That's a good thing. But if it wasn't important enough to God to lay this out very clearly, it's probably not important enough for us to be divided on. And this is what he's saying here. Faithfulness to the Lord, faithful to the gospel, rejects contentious speech and instead looks to love and serve and point everyone to the gospel and to the love of our God and Father. 
See, if we're to be approved workers and and witnesses to Jesus' love, grace, and mercy, then we should exude that love, grace, and mercy ourselves. But this will never happen if we are involved in contentious speech among one another. Again, contentious speech is not any issue of disagreement. It doesn't mean we should never disagree on things and we should never even talk about the things we disagree about. No. Contentious speech is a speech that cares more about proving ourselves right than about loving, unifying, and building up the body of Christ. Let me say that again. Contentious speech is speech that cares more about proving ourselves right than it does with loving, unifying, and building up the body of Christ. Proverbs 26, verse 21 says, as coal for embers and wood for fire, so is a quarrelsome, and some of your Bibles translates this as contentious, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. So you want to focus on contentious speech, making sure you're right and everybody else is wrong over seeking the Lord, over doing the good works of the gospel? Realize you simply stir up strife. You are kindling for strife. Faithfulness to the truth looks not to argue one's own views, but to love and serve others. You might go, well, what's the difference? Well, here, if you find yourself constantly telling other people that they are wrong, you're a contentious speaker. If you are constantly telling people they're wrong, you are a contentious speaker. That doesn't mean that other people are are never wrong or that we should not point out when they're wrong. But when other people are wrong, we should look to love and serve and help them draw near to Christ. So what that looks like is affirming where they're right, finding that point of agreement, loving that agreement, and then pointing them, encouraging them to seek Christ over those things that bring them to wrong responses. See, it's not rejecting truth. It's not backing away from what needs to be said. It's knowing whether I am trying to prove myself right or whether I'm looking to point others to Jesus Christ. Mature faith rejects contentious speech, choosing instead to work tirelessly to show the greatness and goodness of Jesus Christ to others. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves, every single one of us. We gotta ask ourselves, what's more important to us? when we find ourselves in a position of disagreement with another person, what's more important to us? Being faithful messengers of the gospel or being right? I hated typing this into my outline this week. (laughs) Which is more important? Being a faithful messenger of the gospel sharing the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus Christ, or being right. Paul says, faithfulness rejects contentious speech. From here, he addresses a second aspect of speech that needs purification in our lives, that needs to grow, needs to mature, needs to be better and better and better. In verse 16 through 18, he says, not only does faithfulness reject contentious speech, but godliness conquers malicious speech. Godliness conquers malicious speech. Verse 16 through 18 says, avoid irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth 
saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Godliness conquers malicious speech. Paul's instruction here is simple. Avoid irreverent and empty speech. As we said, contentious speech puts friction between believers, between the family of God. Malicious speech is speech which opposes God. Contentious speech is between believers. Malicious speech opposes God. Paul gives two examples of this. And he says, this is unhelpful. This brings destruction. And he says, don't forget, you, you know what this looks like. And the, the first example he gives, he talks about a man named Hymenaeus. This is a man that Paul mentioned in his first letter to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, he's talking in this, these verses about those who, who have let their, the, the word he uses is let their faith become shipwrecked. And among them, he says in verse 20, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered over to Satan so they might be taught not to blaspheme. Apparently, Hymenaeus didn't learn his lesson. Because Paul says here again, here again, he is teaching this heresy. Not disagreeing on theological minutiae, but opposing God. And he does it with his partner, Philetus, who we have no idea who he is. Never mentioned anywhere else in scripture. But these two men are teaching a dangerous teaching that's spreading like gangrene and ruining the faith of others. So what is that truth? What's that truth that opposes God? They said the resurrection has already taken place. Hold up. These guys say the resurrection has already taken place. Didn't Jesus already rise? Right? Jesus rose at this point. We're, we're a ways past Jesus. We're 30, 40 years past Jesus. Resurrection. Okay, so Jesus has raised. So what, what's the problem here? Aren't they just teaching the truth? No. No, they are not. To understand what's happening here, we have to understand the philosophy that they're teaching. See, these guys are teaching a Greek philosophy that taught that the spirit is good and the flesh is bad. So anything that's of the spirit is pure. Anything that's of the flesh is bad. Okay, if Jesus was pure, what does that mean? Could he have been flesh? No, because the flesh is bad. So Jesus was only spiritual. He was an image that God had sent. He was a, a, a spiritual manifestation, but he was not a physical being. And that being the case, his death and his resurrection were mere spiritual images. They weren't physical realities. Therefore, if Jesus' death and resurrection was merely spiritual, you and I cannot be raised physically because Jesus wasn't raised physically. So death has not been defeated. So their teaching is that the resurrection has already taken place means your resurrection has already taken place. When you trust Jesus, you are risen and that's it. That's the full resurrection. You see the problem with this? See the problem here? If Jesus didn't offer himself as the atoning sacrifice, physical death, physical resurrection, then he didn't conquer death. He didn't conquer sin. And therefore he cannot save us. You and I only have a spiritual resurrection that we have at our moment of salvation, but not a physical resurrection to look forward to. We are lost. 
See this malicious idea? Doesn't sound terrible on the surface, does it? The resurrection already took place. Sounds innocent enough till you dig in. And that teaching leads us away from Jesus as the Messiah and as our Savior. Listen, if you had a a, a major heart attack and you go in the hospital and you're laying there and I come see you every day and every day I bring you a big greasy double cheeseburger, french fries and a giant milkshake. That's me being nice, right? Because who doesn't like that? Who doesn't want that food? I'm being kind. No. I'm being malicious. It looks good on the surface, but what I'm doing you is not helping you towards life. It's leading you to death. That is malicious. Godliness is living in a way that aligns with the truth of who God is according to the scriptures and seeks to, to, to live a life that leads towards life in Christ through our representation of God's love. Right? Godliness aligns with the truth of who God is according to the scriptures by life in Jesus Christ. Malicious speech may sound good, but it leads to death. This is why in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse seven, you get the 10 commandments. And the third commandment is, do not use what? Do not use the Lord's name in vain or do not misuse the name of the Lord depending on what your translation is. You may know very well that this is not a call just not to use the name of Jesus as a swear word. The real teaching of this is not to use the Lord's name to attribute to him anything that is not of him. Do not say this is of the Lord when it is not of the Lord. That is using the Lord's name in vain. That is misusing his name. Malicious speech may be something that says, oh yeah, this is what God says, but it is not at all what God says. In fact, it leads people not towards Christ, but away from him. And so the question for us is, does does our speech, does what we say and how we say it seek to present an accurate picture of who God is and what he has done in our lives and what he wants to do in the lives of others? Do we say things? Do we speak in a way that leads people towards life in Christ? If not, we are malicious speakers. But if our desire is to be more like Jesus, then the answer to that question should be a resounding yes. We're not gonna do it right every time. We're all gonna fall along the way. We're gonna have missteps. We're going to speak in ways that don't bring glory and honor to the Lord. But when we do that, we fall to our knees, we repent, we seek forgiveness. And then with every word we say, with every interaction we have, with the way we speak, we point people to Jesus, to the way he would love them, the way he wants what's best for them the way he desires for them to know him and love him and serve him? Does our speech accurately portray who God is and what he has done in our lives? Paul continues now. After these two warnings against divisive and destructive speech, Paul's gonna flip the script in in this last verse. 
Because he's shown us that, that faithfulness rejects contentious speech and that godliness conquers malicious speech. But now in verse 19, he's gonna show us how steadfastness develops pure speech. Steadfastness develops pure speech. Watch how he ends this. Verse 19, nevertheless, right? He's switching gears. He says, be aware of this, be aware of this. But nevertheless, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm bearing this inscription, the Lord knows who are his and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Steadfastness develops pure speech. He says, God's solid foundation. And what he's talking about here with the solid foundation, he's talking about the church. He's pointing back to the church, his children, his people who are grounded in faithfulness and godliness. It says the church stands firm. Even though there are those who, who are committed to contentious speech, those who are committed to malicious speech, even with all that going on, Nevertheless, the church, God's people, stand firm. He goes on, he says, those who are, are a part of this church are marked with a, a two-part inscription. And my Bible says inscription, maybe your Bible says seal. We are marked, we are set apart. And these two attributes, first he says that God knows who are his. What he's saying is you can't fool God. Even if we can fool others, we can't fool God. I could give you story after story of people who were pastors and preachers in churches who walked away from the faith. I don't think they lost their faith. I don't think they were ever truly engaged in the faith. It's really easy. It could, it, it could be really easy for somebody to stand up here and teach the Bible to you and go, well, this is what the Greek says and this is what the Hebrew says and this is how this works out, right? And here's how you would apply it without ever knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It is a sad and terrifying reality, but you and I can be fooled. God is never fooled. God knows who are his. And then it goes on, the rest of that verse, it says that, that those who are part of this solid foundation are marked by holiness. They can fool you, but God knows who are his. And those who are a truly a part of the family are marked by holiness. It goes back to what we said at the beginning of this morning. True worshipers manifest a changed life. True worshipers manifest a changed life. One cannot truly encounter Jesus, be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and not be changed. That doesn't mean there's necessarily a 180 degree change from, from who you were in this moment to the way you acted and the way you spoke and all of this stuff in the next moment, but there will be change. If I came in this morning and everybody's looking around like, Where, where's Jonathan? He's not, he's not here. And I come running in the door. And I come running this room, I'm like, whew, whew. guys, hold on a second. Sorry I'm late. Uh, I was on my way. There's a house on fire over there. And I ran in and I was throwing burning furniture out of the way. And I grabbed three cats and four dogs and five kids. And I, I, I worked my way through that fire and I brought them out. It was rough. 
man, but I'm here now. It's okay. Now, let's say I said that to you. And yet, as I stand here, you look at me and my clothes are clean. Every hair is where it usually is. <laughs> There's no soot on my hands, under my fingernails. I smell like a meadow on a summer's day. <laughs> Would you have some questions about my story? You should. You should. Because if I had engaged in a fire, I would carry the evidence with me. Whether I want to or not, whether I try to or not, I would carry the evidence with me. Listen, if we embrace the gospel truly and completely with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, if we embrace the gospel, if we truly understand how deep and incredible the God who created the heavens and the earth is and how amazing, how amazing his love is. That even though we reject him and have run our own way time and time again, he continues to run after us, continues to love us, continues to stand with his arms open, just saying, come back to me. So much so that, that while we refuse to do that, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem to live a perfect life, one that you and I could never live, to die in our place, shedding his blood to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, a penalty we could never pay. So that he could be laid in a tomb for three days before rising victoriously, winning the battle that you and I could never win. So that he could ascend to the right hand of the father where he stands as our advocate so that on our day of judgment, we won't be judged by how good we are, how great a job we did in this life, but the, by the perfection of Jesus Christ so that we don't have to worry about whether we'll be good enough, whether we'll draw that circle perfect enough because Jesus Jesus is the perfection we need for the presence of a perfect God and Father. Listen, if we truly grasp that, if we truly understand what all of that means, it will leave its mark in our lives. It will leave its mark in many different ways. One of those ways will be a purified speech. So what do we mean when we say purified speech? Purified speech is not necessarily about what we say, although that's important. It's not precisely about what we say. It's a matter of what the words we speak reveal about the contents of our hearts. Matthew 12, 34. Right? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Pure speech always praises God, loves others, and points the world to Jesus Christ. If we understand the gospel, our speech will praise God, love others, and point the world to Christ. Well, how do we do that? Always the million-dollar question, isn't it? Okay, how, how do we develop 
pure speech in our, in our hearts to be poured out through our mouths. I'm give three helps for how we address this, how we develop pure speech in our lives. And the first is this, we must be intentional. Be intentional. We have to examine what we say. We have to be aware of the words that we say. In Psalm 141, verses three and four, David is, is writing this psalm, asking God to, to, to protect him from sin and, and from the wickedness of others. But in verse three and four, he kind of starts this cry and he says, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Do not let my heart turn to any evil thing or perform wicked acts with evil doers. Okay, you catch what David's doing here? His cry for protection against sin and sinners begins with his own mouth. Let me say that again. David's cry for protection against sin and sinners begins with his own mouth. He says, Lord, protect my mouth. Let my words not slip into the patterns of wickedness. And so we too must guard our mouths against thoughtless and flippant speech. We must constantly be intentional, be aware of what we say. And from there, we, we are to be intentional and then we are to be aware. Be aware. What this means is we must know where our words land. Pure speech is not just about what we say, but it's how we say it. That's important. What we say is important. How we say it is important. We must be intentional and we must be aware, knowing where our words land. Ephesians uh, 4, verse 15. You see it every week when you come into the church, whether you realize it or not, you see this verse every week. If you don't remember, when you go out, look on the, the wall above the stairs. It says, speaking truth in love, let us grow into every way, into him who is the head, Christ Right? Speaking the truth, what we say is important in love. How we say it matters. We must speak the truth. There's never a time for us to back away from being truthful, from being honest, from going back to the word of God. But if it's not done lovingly, no one will care. Be as right as you want to be. If we speak the truth unlovingly, no one will ever care what we say. So we must be aware, be intentional of what we say, be aware of how we say it. Number three, we must be clear. So intentional, what we say, aware, how we say it, be clear, why are we speaking? Do we know why we speak? Do we, in the words we say, truly seek to praise God, love others, and point them to Christ? matters. We must understand, is there a purpose to what I'm saying or I'm just speaking because there was a lull or because I really want people to know this? Or do we have a good foundational gospel-driven reason for what we say? If we're not intentional with what we say, aware of how we say it, 
and clear about why we're saying it, then here's the advice for every single one of us. Maybe don't say it. Maybe just don't say it. Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool is considered wise if he keeps silent, discerning when, his, when, <laughs> when he seals his lips. Our 30th president, Calvin Coolidge, said it this way. I've never been hurt by anything I didn't say. See, too often, if we're honest with ourselves, too often, every single one of us will find ourselves speaking without these considerations. But steadfastness in the Lord that is seeking to glorify him in all things leads us to pure, edifying, gospel-driven speech. So are we so steadfast in our pursuit of Jesus that our speech continually draws towards him? That our speech continually points others to Jesus Christ? Praising God, loving others, and pointing the world to Christ. Once again, we must remember that the gospel is not the end game of our faith, It's the doorway to our everyday walk with the Lord. The gospel is not something we just say, okay, yes, I accept it, I get it, let's move on to other stuff. The gospel drives every single day in our walk of faith. We must constantly be molded, shaped, and changed by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think for most of us, we would we would admit that this is probably easier to acknowledge and to address when it comes to maybe our behaviors, the things we do, those external displays, or our our thoughts. But this is also crucial when it comes to the words we speak, the words that flow from our hearts. And if we're gonna have lips that are purified by the fire of faith in Jesus Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then we must remember that our faithfulness to the Lord leads us to reject contentious speech speech that, that hurts or tears down or turns off our brothers and sisters in Christ. At the same time, our pursuit of godliness conquers malicious speech that, that fails to, to illuminate the truth of who God is and fails to serve him and fails to serve, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to drive people away from Jesus. Finally, while rejecting these two negative practices of speech, Our steadfast commitment to the Lord develops in our hearts and pours out through our lips a pure speech that praises God, serves the church, edifies the family of faith, and points always to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Church family, may we be known for the joy and the hope and the purpose of our pure speech. Let us reject all bitterness and anger, hypocrisy, and any other bit of wickedness that can be expressed through our lips. But as we grow and mature in our faith, building up a more and more powerful flame, may we be surrendered and submitted to the life-changing nature of God's Holy Spirit at work in us, changing us and purifying us for the glory and the power and the riches of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we be a people of pure speech. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gift and the blessing we have of being your children, of being a part of your kingdom. 
of being those who have been redeemed, bought back from sin and death, for those who have been sanctified, made to be more and more like you, as our hearts learn to surrender more and more of ourselves to you. We thank you for the work that you do in us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Those good works of a a worker who's not ashamed, works that we cannot do on our own, but works we do by the power you've given us and as an act of worship towards you. Lord, we thank you for all of these blessings we have. And as we reflect on those blessings, Father, we repent of the ways that we have let our lips get in the way of the work of your kingdom. The times and the places where we have decided it's better for us to be right or better for us to get our way than it is to draw others to you, to point them in your direction. We repent and Father, we ask that now in the the days, the weeks, the months ahead, may we be continually purified by your spirit. May we be continually purified in the words we say, how we say them, and why we say them. And through that, Lord, may we bring glory and honor to your name through everything we think, through everything we do, and through everything we say. Lord, we love you and we praise you and in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.